0: What's up, everyone? You're listening to another podcast episode of Sports Talk Today with JJ. My name is Jason Joseph, and if you're listening to my podcast for the first time on YouTube, make sure that you like this podcast, subscribe to my channel, and hit that notification bell icon too so that you know when I upload a new podcast. And at the end of this podcast, also feel free to leave a comment down below in the comment section just to keep the sports talk going. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, Anchor, or SoundCloud. Make sure that you leave me a review and email jj at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me and continue this sports talk on the topics that I am talking about in this particular podcast. The email is also down below in the description link if you're listening to me on YouTube, so you can also email me as well if you're listening to me on there. Two weeks. Two more weeks. Until the regular season seeding games take place. I'm so pumped. I'm happy that sports are coming back. We have baseball coming back very soon as well. That's actually going to be coming back before the NBA restart. And that makes me very happy too. But I'm just here to talk about basketball. And in particular, I want to talk about the Sixers. I'm a diehard Sixers fan. And there's just been so much Sixers talk. I want to talk about, obviously, the new move of Ben Simmons to power forward and shake Milton as the primary point guard in the starting lineup, that is a big news. And then I also want to talk about the schedule of who the Sixers are going to be playing once the season resumes and how that is going to affect their chance of getting, uh, of not getting into the playoffs, but making it far into the playoffs, if that is going to affect anything. So I'm going to be talking about that too. And then I want to talk about the expectations for this team. Not just from the player's standpoint, but also from Brett Brown's standpoint. Because he has a lot on his seat. There's just so much to dive into. But first, now I want to talk about the biggest news. Which has been Shake Milton announced as the primary point guard. Brett Brown said that during these practices so far, he's been putting Ben Simmons at the power forward position. And Shake Milton has been the starting point guard. This is a big move. This is a big move from so many different perspectives. And personally, I like this move. Let's talk about Ben for a little bit, okay? Ben Simmons at the power forward position, to me, I don't really call it his position in particular the power forward. I call it really the point forward. He's going to be standing in the dunker spot. There's going to be a lot of times where he is still going to be off the ball, but People think that now if he's moving to this power forward position, he's just not going to have the ball at all, and that's obviously not true because he's just so effective with the ball in his hands, and we all know that. He never even played point guard until he was drafted by the Sixers, and he's done a pretty good job at that. The Sixers just didn't have another guard that was supposed to fulfill that position. Ben Simmons was not truly considered to be a point guard because of his height and because of his athleticism. It's not like a Chris Paul or a Damian Lillard or a Russell Westbrook, somebody who's just naturally fits at the point guard position. Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, those kinds of guys. So Ben Simmons was kind of put into that position because the Sixers didn't have anybody to do that. Markel Fultz was supposed to be that guy, and it just didn't work out. So putting Shake there, I'm actually kind of happy about that. Shake had a really nice run. Obviously, had that game against the Clippers where he like shot the lights out and scored 39 points and just hit so many three pointers in that second half of the game and shocked the whole world. That, that was incredible. He even tied the NBA three point record by hitting 13 consecutive threes, and that hasn't been done since 1996 when I think it was it was Brent Barry and Terry Mills. They both set that record. Back in 1996 for the longest streak of all time. And that's insane. That was really incredible to witness. And that's what Shake did. Is Shake going to be that guy? I really don't know. But he knocked that opportunity out of the ballpark. I will say that. And Brett Brown is giving him credit by putting him at the starting point guard position. Which he rightfully deserves to be at. He does. He earned those minutes. And he earned that position. They have 8 games to experiment this. Just because Shake Milton is in the starting lineup, does that necessarily mean he's going to be finishing at the end of the game? We don't know. We don't know what the situations are going to look like. But the nice thing is, is that Brett Brown has a chance to figure this out. He has 8 games to try this. He also has a lot of other things to consider when it comes to the rotations of this team And all of that. Who's going to be on the second unit? Is there even going to be a third unit when it comes deep into the playoffs? Who's going to be a part of that third unit? Is he even going to cut to an eight-man lineup when it becomes deeper into the playoffs? These are all questions that we just don't know. But I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm happy that they're doing this. I'm happy that it's going to give a little bit of spark to this team. Brett Brown made this move. When it comes to Ben... He's going to be down low in the post more with Embiid. Some people say that that could be a problem, and I don't really know if that really is a problem because now you would have Shake Milton and Josh Richardson up at the guard position. Shake would be bringing up the ball more, and of course, Ben's just going to be down low in the post, and he'll he'll be able to score more. He might not be getting as many assists as he was getting at the point guard position. His assist numbers might go down, but Ben is still a great passer, and if you give the ball to him down low, He's going to be dominant there. It's more of like Giannis in particular. Giannis is a power forward, and he sometimes does take up the ball because he is really good at ball handling, and he can post you up. Now he also has a mid-range game, and he's working on his three-point game, which is ridiculous, but Ben Simmons, putting him into the dunker spot and putting him down low into the post more often can actually help this team. Yes, Ben is going to draw up more double teams, and I think that he's going to have to figure out how to not be scared and go to the foul line. He's a very good passer. He's one of the best passers in the game, arguably. He's just as good as LeBron. He's just as good as Chris Paul. When you draw up the double teams, you don't want to leave anybody wide open from three, especially Shake Milton, because he is a pretty good three-point shooter. He shot like 42% from three when Ben Simmons was out. So I think that this is kind of like a new acquisition for the Sixers. That's how I like to look at it. Because Ben's not playing that point guard. And don't get me wrong, he did an incredible job. It was working when he was playing at point guard. They somehow made it work. But now that Ben's not going to be having the ball as much and the Sixers have another ball handler, I think that that's actually going to help. And the worst case is that if it doesn't work out, if shake is not shooting the ball like he was before, and if he's making a lot of turnovers or whatever, they can still put Bennett back at the point guard. I'm sure that even during some points of the game, you're going to have a point where Ben Simmons will be running the ball, and they'll have Joel Embiid on the floor, and Shake Milton will just be taking a little bit of a rest. So the Sixers have options, and you just have to give Brett Brown a lot of credit because he's doing this now. He's changing the game. And I understand some people say that, Oh, Ben Simmons wasn't meant to be a point guard. And Brett Brown finally made this move. And I said this all along that that Ben Simmons cannot be playing the point guard position. He needs to be at the power forward. Come on. That's just ridiculous. If you look at his defense, right? Defensively, he is a monster. I don't even want to go into defense yet. But if we're discussing more about what he did offensively, he was obviously leading the team in assists. He had a couple, at least a couple of triple-doubles this season. I can't remember how many, but I think he's like either fourth or fifth in the league in triple-doubles. I have to double check on that. But I do know that his athleticism is off the charts. He's great at rebounding, he's fast especially in transition. And he is just a generational type of a talent. (laughs) I mean, the kid is only 22. It's mind-blowing. I look at this move of Ben Simmons going from point guard to power forward to LeBron when he was small forward. And then now he's been playing the point guard position for the past couple of years, the past two to three years. He's just been the primary point guard. So I'm interested to see this whole fit and how this is going to work. Now, there's some people saying that, oh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can't play together. That's been the narrative for the past two seasons, right? That they just can't play together, that their games are totally different, and that they need to be separated and put onto their own teams to win a championship. That's how they're going to be very effective. And I believe that that's absolutely 100% wrong. I've seen Ben and Joel gel together. Ben is great at passing the ball, and Joel is very dominant down low in the post. Now, when you have Ben down low in the post more, and Joel's down there too, their team chemistry, I think, is gonna even be better than what people imagine because they're down low together, and it's not like it's not like the plays are just gonna be set up for Ben or Joel. There's gonna be plays that are gonna get them both involved. And I'm happy that Brett Brown is seeing that. The other thing too is that this whole move affects everybody. It doesn't just affect Ben and Joel. It affects everybody on the team. Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Matisse Theibel, Furkan Korkmaz. It affects all of those pieces, all those guys, all those players. Because now their roles are going to be different. And who knows what kind of looks they're going to get at some points during the game. Because now Shake Milton is going to be the primary ball handler. We're going to have to see how that looks. But I'm 100% for this. It, it is like the Sixers actually got somebody in free agency. That's how I look at this, as if they got another player. Let's talk about this schedule. The season restarts on July 30th. The Sixers start play on August 1st. The first game is going to be against Indiana. That's going to be on Saturday, August 1st at 7 o'clock p.m. Then on Monday, August 3rd, they play the San Antonio Spurs at 8 o'clock p.m. Two days later, on August 5th, which is a Wednesday night, they face the Washington Wizards, and that game's on NBA TV. And on Friday, August 11th, they will face the Orlando Magic on TNT at 6.30 p.m. Two days after that, which is a Sunday, August 9th, they will face the Portland Trailblazers at 6.30 p.m. on NBA TV. And then on Tuesday, August 11th. They will face the Phoenix Suns at 4.30 p.m. That's going to be a late afternoon game. And then that's when the back-to-back occurs when they face the Toronto Raptors the next day on Wednesday, August 12th at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. And the final game that they will play is going to be against the Houston Rockets on August 14th. And the time of the game is still to be determined. But that's what the schedule looks like. I would expect that when they face the Phoenix Suns, this is just me speaking, I expect that Joel Embiid's going to have a night off. Now, you could argue that the Sixers don't really have a lot of time to give the players time off, but it's a back-to-back. And would you rather have Joel Embiid play 35 minutes in Phoenix and then the next night go for like 20 minutes in Toronto or something like that? Or would you just rather have Embiid be healthy for the playoffs, right? Embiid could get hurt. There's more of a possibility that he could get hurt when they face the Phoenix Suns and then the Toronto Raptors on that back-to-back night. I just think that it would be smart if Brett Brown would rest him because saving him for the playoffs is really what they need Joel for. They don't need him for just a seeding game. So that's just my look on that. But yeah, no Boston, no Milwaukee, none of those top-tier teams. And I think that that's all right. And now some people say that, oh, the Sixers schedule looks so easy because of that, and they should absolutely do fine because they don't have to face the Bucks and all of those teams. Stop it. These teams haven't practiced in a very long time. It's going to be very rusty in the beginning once play starts to resume. Because these players haven't been at a gym or some people even at a basketball court for over four months. That's a long time. And it's not even just getting into shape, it's also getting into game shape. There's a difference between being in shape and getting in game shape. When you're getting yourself into shape, you know you're working out, you're working on your legs, and you're working on your body, but when you're getting into game shape, you're doing reps up and down the court, and practicing your shots, and all of that stuff, so it's just, it's completely different, and team chemistry is also another thing when it comes to getting into game shape, so it's not even just about you as an individual player, it's about the team getting into game shape, and connecting with each other, and making plays for one another that takes a lot of time. No one is at an advantage there. And also because there's no home court advantage and they're playing in a neutral zone, that's also going to be another factor too. And on top of that, the coronavirus, some of the players are going to be catching that. We already know that. So this is not easy. I just want to be sure to make that clear that this is going to be very challenging. It's going to be very difficult, but so much fun to watch. And I'm pumped. I'm, I'm really pumped and I'm really excited about it. I can't wait for basketball to come back, and I think that with this schedule for the Sixers, it's going to be very interesting. So now that leads me to this, and that is just to talk about what the expectations are for the Sixers team. We'll talk about some of these players. So first, let's talk about Ben. All right, we already talked about him a little bit when it comes to moving to the power forward position, or the point forward, as I like to call it. How is this playoff run? How is this run, this this tournament run, whatever you want to call it? how is this going to affect Ben? What do I expect out of him? Well, I expect a couple of things. First, I expect his defense to still be elite. Ben is a guy who can guard anybody one through five, and over the past season, he has really shown he can play true defense. You started to see it when the Sixers faced the Toronto Raptors last year after game one. When it was game one, It was ridiculous. Kawhi was just getting buckets, and he was going to the rim, and he was making mid-range daggers and big three-point shots, right? He was getting a lot of wide-open looks. But once Ben started to play defense on Kawhi, you can look at the stats and see that Kawhi still was able to get 27 points, 30 points, right? Because he's just Kawhi Leonard. He's one of the best players in basketball. But if you actually watched the game and you looked at his shots, he wasn't It wasn't like he was getting to the rim a lot. He was making tough jump shots, tough free throw line jumpers and elbow jumpers, and also some contested three-point shots. And you just can't stop that. That just goes to show how lethal Kawhi is. But it wasn't like he was getting those wide-open looks or he was going to the rim like a dozen times like he did in the first game. You saw Ben step up on defense and that spark really showed you what kind of talent Ben Simmons really is when it comes to his defense. But then this year, he took that to a whole nother level. He's up for defensive player of the year now, which is ridiculous. That one game where Matisse Theibel had like four steals and Ben had five against the Lakers, that they combined for nine steals in that game. And that was without Joel Embiid. And they did that at home at the Wells Fargo Center. That was truly something just to see both of them feed off of each other. When it came to playing defense, they just loved it. Ben loves to play defense, and he's so good at it. So I don't think defensively this is really going to matter when it comes to playing the power forward position. He's still going to be a great defender, and it's actually going to be even harder for these guys to stop him because he's just so fast. Him and Russell Westbrook and Giannis are, to me, the fastest players. They have so much speed. But the other thing, too, that I'm a little bit concerned about is the back injury. It looks like it's fully healed, and you can see the pictures of him working out on Instagram. You saw the video of him working out with LeBron, and you saw a whole new Ben Simmons, and he looks phenomenal. He looks like he's in great shape. I'm just hoping that the back's going to be healthy and that he's going to be able to play at least 40 minutes a game because the Sixers are going to need that from him. He's a very durable guy. He can give you 40 minutes a night when he's fully healthy. It's not like Joel Embiid where he has to be sometimes on a minutes restriction or you see him huffing and puffing on the court because he gets so tired. Ben is a motor. He's a machine. He can play so many minutes. So I'm just curious. I'm I'm hoping that the back's going to be okay, obviously. And the other thing I'm hoping too is that we get to see more jump shots from Ben Simmons. There's this whole narrative that the reason why he is not a top-tier player is because he doesn't have a jump shot. That's the one thing that people critique about him. And I understand it. It's frustrating. It is really frustrating that he doesn't shoot some of the time. And it's not that he can't shoot. I was at the Sixers game when they faced the Milwaukee Bucks on Christmas Day. And after halftime, when they were practicing, I saw him make eight threes in a row from that corner. He loves shooting it from the corner. It's not that he can't shoot. He's just not willing to shoot. And he has to get over that hump. Something has to just trigger in his head that he is going to have to take some shots during big moments of the game. He has to get that into his mind. But to say that he's not a good player or he's not even an elite player because he doesn't have that one thing, he has that one flaw, that is just absurd. If you watch Ben, you would see that he is a phenomenal passer. He's great at handling the ball. He's very athletic and his rebounding ability is incredible, and his speed is just top tier, and his defense is arguably one of the best in the league. I mean, I can't say any other great things about him. The only other thing I could say is that his free throw shot could be a lot better, but in the last five games, he did shoot the ball better from the foul line. He shot over 72%, which for his standards is actually not that bad. It's better. I actually think it was a little bit higher. I think it was 78%. I know that it was in the 70s, but it wasn't like at the beginning of the season where some of the time he shot 50% or even below that. So people just don't give him enough credit. And I'm curious to see what he's going to be able to do in the playoffs. He's going to be a big factor. He's an X factor. But enough talking about Ben. I want to talk about Joel. I'm curious to see how this fit is going to work for him. There's going to be times where Embiid's going to need the ball down low in the post. He is one of the most dominant big men in the game. He's had a very disappointing season, in my opinion. When you watch the Toronto Raptors Game 7, uh, Kawhi Leonard's shot, after that occurred, Joel was crying, okay? The tears were running down his face, and he held mark Gasol, and you could just see all that emotion. And what I thought, and I know a lot of other people thought this too, was that maybe this was actually a blessing in disguise. Maybe in order for him to get better, he needed to realize that losing these big-time games could actually help him grow. We've seen players like Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kobe, Shaq. All of those guys did not win championships until they were in their primes. You can look it up. You can watch the Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary, and you'll see that these guys didn't start winning championships until they were at least 28 or 27 to 32 years old. That is their prime. Okay, Kawhi Leonard won a championship with the Spurs, but he was not the main guy. The Spurs team wasn't led by him. It was led by Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. Kawhi was that fourth guy. He was a baby at the time. But when he won last season with the Toronto Raptors, he led them to that championship. So that championship he won in his prime. He was the primary guy last year. So I don't want to hear any of Kawhi did win a championship with the Spurs and he was in his prime. No, no. No, no, he didn't. But I expected a lot out of Joel Embiid this year. I expected him to grow. And then, of course, you see that he had that donut game against the Toronto Raptors where he just couldn't even buy a bucket against Marcus Salt, and that was a terrible effort. You would see some games where he would just go off, and he would score 32 points and have 18 rebounds against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then you'd see other games like when they faced the Milwaukee Bucks, he would only get 16 points and only get eight rebounds, and you could see him huffing and puffing on the court, and it was just very tragic to see that for the Sixers. It it was a tragedy. There was even a game where Joel was turning the ball over so much that he actually had to be taken out within the last two minutes of the game, and he looked really tired. So I need him to be healthy, I need him to be in game shape, and I need him to be that dominant big man that we expect Joel to be. Let's talk about another key player that I think is going to play a very big role with this Sixers team in the playoffs, and that's Tobias Harris. His game, overall, it goes really unnoticed. Part of it is because he's not the primary guy. The primary players that are the faces of this franchise are without a doubt Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. They are the young superstars of this team. But they had to surround this talent with other key players. And Tobias Harris is one of those key players. The reason why he's on the team is because he can sometimes create his own shot. And when you have somebody who refuses to shoot and create his own shot, and then you have another guy who's just like an old school big man and is just very dominant down low near the basket... You have to have another sort of a playmaker who can create his own shots and also catch and shoot. So that's why Tobias plays such a big role. He's second on the team in scoring. He's averaging 19 points per game. The main reason why the Sixers got him last year was because of his three-point shooting. He was shooting 42% from three before he came over with Mike Scott and Boban at the trade deadline. It was a big move, and after he got over here, he was just not shooting it well from three at all. And even during the playoffs, you could see he was getting wide open looks, and some of his shots were just far to the left or far to the right, and they weren't even at the rim. He was in a slump last season, but the Sixers had to do what they had to do. Yes, they overpaid him, but they knew that they weren't going to be able to keep Jimmy Butler. And J.J. Redick wasn't able to stay either, so they could not let him go. And overall this season, he's been pretty good. He knows that he's not the primary guy. He'll have those runs where he can have like a really good third quarter or a really good fourth quarter and just get hot. He's able to do that. Now, is he going to be the guy at the end of the game with about two minutes left to try to close out the game for the Sixers? Who, who's that guy going to be? We haven't really seen that from Tobias Harris. We saw it last season with Jimmy Butler. That wasn't really Toby's role. There were some points this season where he did close out some games, but he just hasn't done it consistently. So can he consistently be that guy when it comes to the playoffs to be able to create those tough shots at the end of the game when it's very close and possibly hit that dagger that just puts that exclamation point on the Sixers' win? That's a big question, and I'm hoping that Tobias Harris is that guy. It could be Shake Milton, it could be Joel Embiid, it could be Josh Richardson. They still haven't defined who that guy is going to be at the end of the game. Then I want to talk about Al Horford. Al Horford is on the bench now for the Sixers, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be getting a lot of minutes. Part of the reason why the Sixers got Al Horford was so that they could get a backup center for Joel. If you were to look at the stats of what happened in that Toronto series with the Sixers, you would see that when Joel Embiid was not on the court, they were minus 22. Minus 22 without him on the court. No one could fill in his role. They even had to put Mike Scott at the five. It destroyed the Sixers. The Sixers didn't have any other option but to put Embiid out there. So I'm happy that they got Al Horford. I'm happy that... Al is on the team, and you could say that, oh, $97 million on the bench. I get it, but Al's getting old. When he was with the Boston Celtics, he dominated Joel Embiid. He was Joel Embiid's father before Marcus All was his father. So the fact that the Celtics lost him and that the Sixers got him was two big pluses. But Al's role to me is very interesting because now that he's coming off the bench and he's going to be playing minutes for Joel and probably for Ben too, he needs to be that spark. He's a quiet leader. Any way to boost this team up and to just show some sort of leadership, he just does it by example. And I'm not questioning whether or not Al's going to show up. I know that he's going to be there. He's going to be reliable. I'm just hoping that since... The biggest thing that stands out about his game is his defense, and he's he's a great defensive big man. I'm hoping that that provides some sort of firework, energy, or boost off the bench. And I'm also hoping that he's going to be able to knock down some shots. The three ball hasn't really been his best suit this year. There was even some bad shooting nights that he had, and I'm hoping that he can just find himself in a rhythm. Once he's open, he can knock down that shot. He can knock down the wide-open three-point jumper, or just a mid-range. But let's see what this looks like, having him come off the bench. I'm very interested, and I'm really intrigued by this move. Finally, I just want to briefly talk about Brett Brown. Brett is on the hot seat. Brett has been on the hot seat for the past two seasons, okay, according to... All of the Sixers fans, all the Brett Brown haters, right? The series against the Boston Celtics. Not only did Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid get exposed, I'm talking about the 2018 playoffs when this when the Sixers played the Celtics in the semifinals. That's the game that's the series I'm talking about. But Brett Brown got exposed too. Brad Stevens outcoached Brett Brown. That was the bottom line. But then we go to last year. The Sixers had like three different teams last year, and then somehow they still made it to the Eastern Conference semifinals, and they only lost in Game 7 by a nail-biter. But this season, he's on the hot seat once again, and if the Sixers don't make it past the first round, I believe that he's out. He's, He's done. But the nice thing, too, is that he's had four months to prepare for this. It wasn't like it was in the middle of March, and then they were headed into April, and he didn't have time to prepare. He had a lot of time on his hands to prepare for the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, and all these other types of situations of what teams the Sixers would have to play. He had time to watch game films and study everybody's game and all that and focus on strategies. So I really can't give him a pass here. And I'm curious to see what the Lions are going to look like. Who's going to be a part of that second unit? Is Matisse Thybul going to be the backup shooting guard or is it going to be Alec Burks? Is Gwen Robinson going to play a big role in, the, in that second unit? Or is Mike Scott going to be that backup small forward? Or will they both be there? Where's Furkan Korkmaz going to be? How's he going to be utilized? Right? These are all questions. Brett just has to figure that out. If Furkan is not shooting the ball well, he's useless. Because he's a liability on the defensive side. So if he's not having a good shooting night, you got to bring him to the bench. I'm a big fan of the Shake Milton move. But there's still a lot to be done. There's still a lot on Brett Brown's plate. And he's going to have to make the correct adjustments. But that's what basketball is all about. It's like a game of chess when it comes to coaching. Putting in the right pieces at the right times and utilizing what you got. That's what it's all about. The NBA season is back. It's not even Summer League. But here we are. And I can't wait. So, yeah, let me know what your thoughts are down below in the comments section if you're listening to me on YouTube. And once again, if you're listening to me on Anchor, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, make sure that you leave me a review and that you email JJ at gmail.com. What are your thoughts about the Sixers team? Do you think that the Sixers have a shot of winning the NBA title? And not only that, but do you even think that the Sixers have a shot of making it out of the East? Let me know what your thoughts are thank you again for tuning into my podcast. This is Sports Talk Today with JJ. My name is Jason Joseph, and I will see you all next time. Have a great day.